You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Jake Gyllenhaal and Carrie Cracknell. Gyllenhaal, of course, is well-known to moviegoers for work that's included Donnie Darko, Brokeback Mountain, Nightcrawler, and this summer's Spider-Man Far From Home. In recent years, he's also returned again and again to the theater, with runs and plays including If There Is I Haven't Found It Yet, and Constellations, and musicals Little Shop of Horrors, and Sunday in the Park with George. For his latest stage outing, he's working with Cracknell, the London-based director, and co-star Tom Sturridge on Seawall, A Life, which is made up of two separate but thematically linked monologues by two different writers, Simon Stevens and Nick Payne. The show was a sold-out hit at Off-Broadway's Public Theater earlier this year, and now it's back for a Broadway run that opened August 8th at the Hudson Theater. Jill and Hall and Cracknell are both in the studio with me to talk about having an audience as a scene partner, why the collaborators were so eager to return to the production, and who Jill and Hall would most like to work with in the theater. Hi, Karen Jake. Thanks for being here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Um, happy opening tonight. I should mention that uh, you guys are uh, opening this very evening, so uh, we are glad to talk to you uh, today. Um, Jake, this sh show isn't like anything we've ever seen you do on stage in New York before because it's just you the whole time. It's uh, it's a two-person show, but you're on stage separately. You don't even really look at each other. Um, mm -hmm. You're only on stage together in one moment. Um, what's that experience been like for you? Well, it's been a long journey. I mean, we started at the public theater and right. this winter and um it's it's been an, an evolution to then now coming to Broadway from a 200 seat house to a 1000 seat house and the energy of it and the irony being that the 1000 seat house feels actually more intimate oh, wow. um than the 200 seat yeah, house. Why do you think that is? I think just it, there it is truth this just the structure of a theater and how it is how it is designed actually has a significant effect on performance yeah. and choosing the right theater which I feel like we totally have in this case. Yeah. Um, it's at the Hudson Theater for listeners who don't know. Um, it just does feel like an intimate theater, like an intimate space. Right? It's a playhouse. It yeah. is It is meant for that. I mean, and and then I think also we both, Tom Sturge and I have real familiarity with that space. We both performed there before. Oh, yeah, he did too. That's true. Because you yeah. were there for um, Sunday in the Park, right? Yes. And he was there for 1984. Yeah, yeah right, right after. he right. was. It, and so um, I think it's just a piece that, 
it just demands a sort of presence and um, a connection. Your scene partner is an audience, is the audience, and that obviously the audience changes every night, which is different from, I mean, obviously scene partners change their situation and what's happening in their lives every night and they come on stage with different things but this is a whole other thing i don't see the audience at all whereas tom can see the audience right. in his piece. right so i can feel them i know that also sounds a little woo woo but it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is really true i actually they change their personalities and so my piece changes right every single night depending on circumstance and the audience what that also presents challenges for you, Carrie, as a director. It's it's just one person up there uh, for each of these pieces. What tell us a little bit about sort of what, you know how you worked on uh, the piece with each of these individual actors. I think the challenges are really interesting because it's about how you build something that's really, really detailed and kind of real and accurate, but also that has this allowance for flexibility and for play and for the actors to be each night in the room with that group of people. And so sometimes a phone will go off or sometimes a coughing fit will happen. And what's been really beautiful, I think, is the confidence now that both of the actors have to allow that into the space. It's like, that's real and it's happening in this room with me in this moment and I can kind of speak to that. And so a lot of the process was about us trying to, in a way, think less about character than we would normally and much more about, yeah, much more about the sort of humanity and like what the central themes of the pieces were and how those actually connected to the actors themselves rather than necessarily a kind of deep constructed sense of character, which is quite different to how I normally work. But it felt really important that, you know, that the costumes that they were wearing spoke to who they were and that the intonation or the way that they might kind of address moment to moment felt from themselves. And that I think was possible because it was two, you know, individual pieces and there was the kind of space for that conversation. Right. right. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Jake's costume is different this time around. Is that right? Is that... We've had quite a long journey with my costume. Yeah, more, <laughs> more so. Than more. so. <laughs> I was very curious, so um, empathetic to, to the journey of discovery, you know, and, and particularly because there are only two of us and then they're really only one of us each time and how to like merge the two of us together so that we're a show, but also be with us personally in the only two, the only person that I know knows and is inside. Well, the only two people I know who know and are inside this piece with me are Carrie and Nick Payne, the, right. the author. And I think the yeah. same thing with Simon and, and Tom and Carrie. And so the, just the, the journey through the, the journey through the, the costume choices, I found myself, uh, being uncomfortable con- being consistent with the costume nightly because the audience changed. And I felt like it, in my mind, it felt false. It felt odd to not have a closet, to not have an opportunity to change depending on different things. My, I'm very odd about my feet on stage and my footwear. In, in general, this is true? No, not oh, in general. In general, I really don't have yeah. okay. No, 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 no. I wouldn't say my character. Yeah. I'd say on stage, I am definitely a different person than I am okay. in real life. Like sure. I, I mean, I do love footwear. I have a... No, a, everybody, a, a, you're wearing a, noticeable tennis shoes. Cool oh, yeah. tennis oh, shoes oh, right oh, now. Yes. They're very cool. Oh, like, yeah. A plethora of choices yeah. of, of shoes I can wear. Um, but, I, but I don't... It's really on stage, I have this superstition. I don't think it's a superstition because I don't believe in that either. But like I, I have this thing where my... my shoes need to be very tight unless for some reason they shouldn't be in for right. story reasons. But I, um, <laughs> so the, I, it was really like, I think I, we didn't really figure it out at the public. And then we sort of jumped in and said, okay, this is what it is. And then actually halfway through, I was like, here, I think I'm gonna change my shirt. And she was like, okay, let's just make sure that it works with lighting. And then I sent her a picture and she's like, okay, that's fine. And then I had this strange cardigan that we, that we journeyed with for a while. And then, you know, it's been a long journey. But is yeah. it consistent now? Is the show, is the, 
outfit I saw you in yesterday afternoon the one that everyone will see you in? Most likely. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I think it feels more like stand-up in the way that a stand-up comedian might just turn up right. in the clothes that they're wearing. And to some extent, there could have been a version where you just turned up nightly in what you were wearing yourself. You know, yeah. th- we did and so that, that was yeah. why any kind of version of trying to put too much into it felt, yeah, unhelpful. Right, right. Is the audience and your awareness of the audience and the acknowledgement of the audience that you talked a little bit about uh, before, is that the key to making these single person shows feel theatrical and alive? Is that what you found kind of unlocked that for you? Or is there anything else that you did to, um, you know, really keep it, keep it alive? I think um, like with all acting on stage, there's this kind of fascinating combination between trying to be completely present in the moment and also having structure that you're working within. And I think when you're doing a a one person show, it takes an enormous amount of kind of muscular energy in a way. It's a bit like kind of running a marathon each night. And so you sort of need to know exactly what your route plan is and, you know, and have a really kind of clear sense of the outline of that. But also inside it, you need to be able to swerve and respond and feel some things more deeply than others each night. And so it has been a really different kind of acting challenge. And for me as a director, it's definitely felt like a a kind of an unusual conversation to make that feel possible each evening. Jake, what is the most insightful thing Carrie said to you throughout this process? I think from the start, well, it actually has been a sort of, um, uh, like a very compassionate toughness in the fact that I think that she probably felt instinctually, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I do think that she probably felt instinctually that the more present we were and what we brought of ourselves to the piece would be it's in it, its success, you know, um, not only for the audience and connecting to us, but for us as performers mm-hmm. and to be as honest to the pieces, these beautiful pieces that were written. Um, that's what they were asking for. And so, you know, slowly we're sort of just chipping away at any performative parts of it. And she just, I remember the first thing she said when we we first read it, which was a pretty magical day when we first read it, even with all of the odd choices we were making and the imperfections and us not really knowing the pieces at all, I was doing it with a British accent because I had only done Nick's work, Nick Payne's work with a British accent. I've done three of his shows is the third one yeah. and the other two were in British accent. So I started doing that and she was like, yeah, it's good. I know you can do it, but I think it's going to keep you away from something. I, the, I mean, she. the thing with Carrie that I feel is that she's with, she's truly, truly with us in, she does not, it does not feel to me in the direction that you give to be, you are objective, but you do, you can like literally feel the minutia of the moments that we feel. You like, you know, it's almost like she can be with us. And I do think as a, in, in a story you're telling alone on a stage, you have to have a director who can be there with you inside of it. Cause, but it's just been amazing. I, I don't know if there's anything outside of her being like, just keep like bringing yourself, just don't be afraid of being in the actually picturing that moment. Cause in my piece of break, there's a lot of funny moments and yeah. the tendency of my, you know, comedic ego. Yeah. <laughs> if I could even say that, um, you could even claim I have one <laughs> is that I really do love drawing those laughs and it's, right. it's a bit infectious and to just try and let that go mm-hmm. and to just speak to people. Yeah. And Carrie, what has surprised you most about working with Jake and how he works as an actor? <laughs> Where do I is start? It the shoe fame? Is it? <laughs> oh, well, the shoe is yeah. very <laughs> peculiar. Um, I think, I think what's been really interesting is this sort of capability to take one thought or one note and completely reconsider the entire performance. And I guess on some level that comes from years of filming and so that capacity to 
recondition, reimagine, remake instant to instant. And so there's been a fascinating challenge about finding where that sits along with like where the sort of bigger structure sits and trying to find a kind of back and forth between those two things. And actually with both with both Tom and Jake each night, I feel like I hear lines afresh and moments afresh and ideas come to me that I haven't heard before because I do think genuinely they're both trying to kind of sit inside it in a really honest way. And that's been, you know, that's the most joyful thing as a director when you're being surprised and you're being led by your actors. And that's been pretty constant. Let's talk a little bit about how this uh, piece came about. Uh, Jake, as you mentioned, you've worked uh, a couple times already before this one with uh, with Nick Payne. And Carrie, you'd worked with both the playwrights, Simon Stevens and Nick Payne. Um, how did it come about? How were these two things were written separately, I imagine? And uh, whose idea was it to bring them together? <laughs> they have their own two separate journeys that Carrie can probably explain. I can only say that I've read Nick's piece, a version of this right. piece um, that he wrote about his father. Okay, so... Is that that sort of biographical, autobiographical version? Is that different from what you are doing now? Yes, okay. significantly, and that has to do with Carrie's relationship with Nick, knowing Nick, her mm-hmm. dramaturgical relationship with the material, and with Nick, they're evolving it together. Then me, them passing it over to me, me having a night, some questions and ideas, then Nick and I speaking, and then him adding some things, and them going back. So it's been an evolution. This piece separate from Seawall has been an ever-changing, ever-evolving piece because I think as Nick, because it's more autobiographical, has evolved through the past six, seven years since he wrote the original piece that he performed himself, um, many things have happened in his life and he keeps adding them to that. And so, and then, then Carrie sort of helping him push towards what the overall idea is. And then what's been very interesting just from where I sit is that the, to watch Carrie create a show right. and then to watch over this long run from the public into Broadway, it actually become a show that Nick was able to use what was already sort of locked in Seawall, Simon Stevens' show, and then have it reflect back and forth in moments. There are moments where Tom's character says things like, that you want to know the cruelest thing I've ever said it to anyone was, and they never tells you. And then I say at one point, in opposition to that almost, but also sort of in parallel with it, I say, I think it might be the kindest thing I've ever heard. Or we mention ER often, the two of us, we mention that show. I noticed and, that yesterday. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We, 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 there are so many moments we share and are mirrored, and that is actually a testament to Carrie and Nick really reflecting off of Seawall and then making it into a show. Yeah. I think also because Nick and Simon are really close friends um they've actually really enjoyed working together because it's quite unusual for playwrights to work in collaboration on a piece and um and so i think nick has kind of it's been a real act of love actually towards Mm -hmm. simon as another writer to sort of take in to some extent subconsciously this other play and then try and find kind of really subtle ways to respond to it at what point were these monologues you had read at one point separately Carrie and then at what point did it occur to you that these two things went together and why did you think they did so Seawall's had a long performance history in the UK and it's a piece of Simon's that's kind of been on a very long journey and um and I'd seen it uh, performed in London and then I saw Nick actually the first night that he read the original version of Jake's monologue at the Royal Court um, and so I'd known both of them and then I'd been looking for a project with Jake to do and Tom had this long relationship with Seawall which he was desperate to perform and so suddenly these two pieces felt like they could kind of mirror each other and it would make a whole evening of theatre and so we came out I flew out to the public and we did this reading in a tiny dressing room surrounded by mirrors with about eight people 
everybody wept and it felt really clear that day that there was something some kind of energy in this group Mm. and also collaboratively it felt really unusual because there were all these deep very very old relationships in lots of different directions and Mm. what are for you the kind of uh echoes uh between the pieces and what are what why do they pair so well together in your mind? I always think of them as kind of like a plug and a socket, like they're the mm-hmm. inversion of each other, because in a way in Seawall you have, I mean, without any spoilers, you have a kind of unnatural tragedy. Mm-hmm. And in a life you have this kind of um, real combination of like kind of beauty and joy and energy and power of new life and also, of, you know, of the passing of a parent. And so the two pieces kind of reflect on similar themes, which is about, you know, who we are under duress and how we love in those moments, but they kind of come at it from opposite directions. And so they often feel like um, there are like lots of strange familial parallels in them and they feel like yeah. a kind of a pairing in that way. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, the Jake and Tom are sort of never on stage or, on stage together once very briefly, they don't ever look at each other. Um, and yet in interviews, I've heard all three of you say, uh, you as well, Carrie, that that feels very much like an ensemble and that uh, seems to have been very important to you. Can you tell me a little bit about sort of, Jake, for you, what that adds to kind of your performance and your experience of the piece? And then Carrie, was that important to you to sort of foster? And if so, why? I mean, these are really... Um... First of all, the, I think the prospect of even attempting something like this for an actor, even though it seems like a total indulgence, is is mostly terrifying. So to read it and to be like, oh, wow, I want to do this, and then to do it are two right. completely different things. Um, Why did you want to do it back when you read it? Do you remember? The second I read it. Yeah. I read it and I was, again, I read it and I was weeping and I and I... Uh, I had not experienced the thing that the, before it had even been rewritten. I had not experienced anything that the character had been through, and I was still so profoundly moved by it. And and that didn't stop. I mean, I asked Nick for five years if I could do it, almost every six months, and he would say, "No, it's, it's mine. It's too personal, and it was meant for me to do." And then, you know, through a number of uh, things, he 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 allowed for it to be done and to rewrite it. I mean, the thing is, is Nick wouldn't have let me do this piece without Simon's piece, um, without his friendship, I think, and without the knowledge that it was being supported by someone that he had such profound respect for, I think. I don't want to speak for him, but I would say that. And I think that because of that, Tom and I are, um, we are vehicles for these beautiful words, and we're pretty deeply aware of that. And in our terror... um, (laughs) Um, we came together mm-hmm. and also, um, cause he's not here, but I would say he is a catalyst for connection, Tom. Mm-hmm. He just has, a, a spirit and an energy that no matter what I would ever try and do to separate or to, he com- just, his heart is always open and he's just such a wonderful actor to work with and a human being that I adore. And so just naturally over time, I think we just... And I also think Carrie allowed for us to be in the room as she was directing. And then we would sit there and watch each other. And then Tom would say, hey, I have an idea. Can I? And Carrie would be like, okay, what do you want? And it became this sort of very interesting collaboration where he would say something he would see. And then we would then go and discover right. something and vice versa. And and there was never any threatening moments. It was like we were, any note he has for me at the end of a show, I was like, oh, oh, cool. Right. Thank you. <laughs> you know, okay. Right. Right. Um, 
So, and was this something you consciously fostered in the cast, Carrie, and why? Um, I'm a big believer in ensemble. I think it's the kind of glue that keeps shows growing, and they get deeper when people love each other. It sounds a bit woo-woo again, but um, I think when you feel safe and you feel like you're in an environment that's kind of profoundly creative and not com- competitive, mm. you make really good work. And it seemed really obvious to me that if we had two actors who were completely isolated from each other and trying to perform something very, very distinct, that they wouldn't have any kind of creative supportive mechanism within the company so yeah that was something we worked hard at and it was tough at times but actually just a lot you know just saying come in come in for the afternoon and watch each other and give feedback and kind of actually act as collaborators rather than the sense of kind of the creative team and the actors being separate which I think can happen a lot um it was really important to me that their thoughts and their insights which were brilliant were you know as kind of important in the work as anyone else's um it was strange, though, because it was very weird as an actor when we'd have our schedule to say, Jake, you're coming in from 10 to 2, and then you leave, and then you have your afternoon. I've never done a show like that. Right. You know, you're at rehearsal all the time, unless maybe you're not in one scene or this or that. But, like, usually you're there, in a, in a, and to be sort of – and it's also significant in that, like, we're both – we both hold this piece together. So you're, you're basically like right. both the stars of the show and you're like not there for half the day. Right. It felt so strange to us both. And what ended up happening was we ended up just like being there for each other's rehearsals because we felt like we were a part of the piece. Right. Yeah. There did come a time where it was too much for me to listen to Tom's before I performed. Seems fair. And that somewhat continues. I, I turn up and down backstage, you know, the monitor so I can hear and see, listen to his rhythms and see where he is because I know exactly kind of where he is and hearing his rhythms. Then right. I'll turn it back off. Do you two have uh, any pre-show rituals? That... We totally do. Yeah. Um, we have a rhythm now. Um, I start the show very early when the doors open. So I'm on stage and that period of time it's been a really wonderful thing that tom actually carrie encouraged at the beginning of the show at the public and tom was on stage only alone right i don't know if you came in and i was on stage or not you were not i did yeah. not know so okay yeah. get there early listeners. yeah i guess so yeah. i mean it's, or not <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so i'm so so what happens is we're very rhythmically timed in that i'm on stage and i begin and then i leave and then when i leave tom then does his whole pre-show but right beforehand I mean, we're pretty much together two hours before the show. Um, we always hug before he goes out. Uh, he does his sort of very, very interesting, I'm going to use the word interesting as a euphemism for Eccentric. singing his songs out loud um, in his warm up to warm his voice up on stage. Um, I always make fun of him that he's doing it. <laughs> and then we just we just hug, and he he does an amazing thing where he goes outside, he walks around the block yeah. in his costume, and then he comes in through where everybody else walks in. And oh, really? He walks in with mm-hmm. them, yeah. Oh. Comes through the bar and walks through the auditorium and climbs up onto the stage. <laughs> yeah. um, in fact, yesterday it was raining. <laughs> yeah, he had his umbrella like, on He was stage. like, I need an umbrella, I need an umbrella. And I was like, you don't need an umbrella, man. You should come in wet. I mean, I thought you were like really trying to be in this. And it was like, he was like, you're right, you're right. No, I need an umbrella. <laughs> and then when he leaves, he also goes out through the crash doors and out into right. the street. And oh, he, he loves that moment when yeah. he walks out onto Broadway each night. He says it's like a really, it's a really high moment for him. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, the space that uh, the show is in is very, it's a very spare set. The design choices are very spare. Um, tell me about the, uh, we talked a little bit about the costumes, but what guided you guys as you thought about kind of what space these shows occupied and how much you acknowledge 
us in the audience? Like, how much are we in a theater and how much are we somewhere else? And where is that? I mean, it felt really important to me that we weren't trying to kind of create an imagined world that the Mm. plays were happening in because the most important thing was that they were people in a room talking to us and there was no pretense about that. And so I worked for the first time with a New York-based set designer called Laura Jelinek, who's really brilliant. And and we kind of together tried to just conflate lots and lots of images, which is how I normally start. And then we became really drawn also in conversation with Jake and Tom and Nick and Simon about this idea that maybe we would try and create a kind of abandoned, quite poetic, um, empty space, really. And we've tried to make a kind of beautiful version of that. And it has certain resonances to the stories particularly the high wall at at the back but um and then the piano which is kind of sits there slightly unloved and unused until the end and you know to sort of look for i don't know poetic simplicity something that could be a kind of backdrop in a way for a conversation right um jake you've clearly made a commitment to theater uh you're very busy on screen like i feel like 10 minutes ago you were doing press for spider-man right but (laughs) that what is it about theater that brings you back and why is it important to you to keep doing? I am my best self when I'm working in the theater. I am mm, the performer that I want to be. And I'm most of the time the person that I would want to be. I think um, that primarily has to do with the very reasonable hours, um, <laughs> which um, I don't think those who are, you know, anyone who works in the theater is, who, who doesn't work in other areas of entertainment, the entertainment business really fully appreciates. Um, we have great hours in the theater. Right. I mean, which is not brutal not schedules. Work, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, but, they're brutal schedules. And sometimes right. I think, I mean, I have short runs. I've, you know, I have not, the, 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 the most shows I've done in a row are 135. Right. So I have no, no leg to stand on. Right. But I, <laughs> but I will say that I think the feeling I have is, um, it, it's a world that feels truly very much like, um, new and mine and one that is what I've been in love with since I was a little kid and the place I knew I was supposed to be. I've had this profound luck in movies and um, an incredible career that I'm grateful for. But I think um, it feels really like I'm the best person that I could be. And I still have a lot of work to do on that, but there, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, this is a question for both of you. What made you interested in revisiting it this time? Because you could have done it at the public and it was a big hit in the end. What, uh, what spurred you to... Um, return to it i think there was unfinished business i mean there always is when you want to kind of go back to something and the writing keeps offering up and sometimes you direct plays and they get thinner and thinner the more work you do Mm. on them and you kind of have to keep piling stuff on top to hide the cracks Mm. and then other times you work on plays and they just continue to reveal themselves like these kind of fountains and i think that's what these pieces do and um you know, we all had more work to do. We were excited about getting back into the studio and working on some rewrites, but also just trying to deepen the work that the actors were doing. And and we kind of walked into the Hudson and thought, wow, this room, you know, has a lot of seats, but there's an intimacy, as Jake said earlier, in a way that the seats wrap around where the performer stands, right. which just brings you right into the action. And um, yeah, it felt like a, a good spot for us. I, I will say, good. just like as an aside too, we did this, the public theater does this incredible public works. And um, so that a lot of the audience from outer boroughs who wouldn't normally come to see theater, come downtown and see stuff at the public, yeah. which is such an amazing institution for so many reasons. Um, and it, we had this talk back at a public works um, 
performance one afternoon that Tom and I were a bit hesitant because we just were doing talkbacks and it's hard to objectify about a piece you're in. And the responses of the stories from the people that saw the show, I think was the most profound experience I've had in my career. The stories that came back to both me and Tom about their own life and things from having lost uh, one of their parents, having lost a child, having one woman saying to me, there's a part where I talk about my dad having tingling in his arms and that he has a heart issue. And she said, I have tingling in my arms every morning. If I hadn't heard that, I probably, I think I need to go to the doctor. Everything from that to these, uh, the other night, a girl came up to me when we were backstage at stage door and she said, I haven't talked to my father in years. And after tonight, I'm going to call him. Um, another girl told me about how she had lost her boyfriend very recently and how incredible it was and other ones who have never had any experience like that at all, but have made them want to call their family members and their loved ones and tell them that they love them. And I think Tom and I in particular came to each other and said, this needs to try if we can to get it somewhere else, because something about this feels so unlike things that we see in the theater in a lot of ways. And we talk about monologues and we talk about how they're this and that. And of course, the technical part of it is fascinating for us. As the, but really, I have been I have been bowled over by the power of this writing on the audience. Um, and it is like it has been it's just this this thing we felt like more people should come and try and see. Right. And it really, really has to do with the writing, these two writers writing, which is took profound courage to do and somehow translates to people and makes them feel like it's okay to be alive, particularly in a time right now of isolation. And the show runs for, uh, I think it's nine weeks. Um, I'll double check that. Seven but, weeks yeah. now. Oh, it's seven <laughs> weeks. Oh, yeah, no, it's free. You've been doing it for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's next on your plate for both of you? I'm going to make my first film next year. Congratulations. Tell us about it. Uh, I can't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so in I'm UK just, or yeah, in, in the UK. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just kind of traveling towards that. And, um, yeah, that's taking up most of my thinking at the moment. But that's been a kind of long-held ambition. So. Does that feel like a how, – how do you anticipate the leap uh, affecting you? And what, what do you feel like is going to be hard or easy for you as you sort of make that leap? Um, I always think I kind of work best in terror, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay. I find it really creative and I've stopped being frightened making theatre, which is probably a bad admission. But mm. um, yeah, new things, completely new challenges always kind of stimulate me. And in a way, weirdly, through my theatre, I've been trying to make films on stage for a long time. Mm. And I think I'm less and less interested in the kind of acting where you're having to scale up to often now 900, you know, one and a half thousand seats. I mean, this is different in a way because it has an intimacy in this yeah. piece, but the work that I do at the National in London, you know, I'm increasingly right. in the big spaces there. And actually I just want to be inside the character and right up close. And so for me, the kind of combination of the visual identity of my work and then a, a need for intimacy is kind of leading me pretty clearly to film at the moment, I think. So. Well, we, we will await that announcement soon. <laughs> Jake, what's next for you? Uh, I mean, for right now, um, the, uh, my company, which is producing a number of things, and my incredible partner, who's really the the, the spearhead of the whole whole company, um, 
is a number of movies coming out in the next year when we were in production on four different films this year. And then we um, are part of slave play that's coming to Broadway right. and great play. yeah. Um, and then I'm going to go do Sunday in the park with George in London with Annalie. Are you looking forward to that? Again? For, very much. Yes. Very, very much. Um, I can't really think about it just yet, but yes, I'm really, I, to be able to do that all again, is, we never thought would be possible. It's like an entirely different, uh, gig compared to what you're doing right now it's like it's the right i mean there's just the people and the music and the singing and the it's funny you say that i did is it is it seems that way but i would look at this like a like an hour long finishing the hat you know um the monologue you're doing now yeah yeah Yeah. Uh and so in a lot of ways actually i feel i felt i was surprisingly more comfortable than i thought i would be because of being able to do a soliloquy or singing some sort of song up there on stage to a group of people which is not what happens oftentimes um in plays you know so um they feel they definitely feel different (laughs) given the yeah the 25 piece orchestra and the 22 person cast yes and the extraordinary (laughs) lyrics and and the downbeats but uh, but like you know i think um i think somehow it just is all like it's a joy so feels somewhat similar yeah Uh, carrie what would you like to see jake do on stage next Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, I've never seen Jake in a, in a musical, so I'm very excited oh, right. to see Sunday. So see yeah, yeah, because I've only had little glimpses of his singing when <laughs> right. he, he does some quite too, weird, right? anarchic, <laughs> improvised musical sequences in our play, which aren't actually in the proper no, production. Right. But um, that's been a True. real treat during rehearsal. So I'm looking forward to him harnessing <laughs> his <laughs> profound singing talent on stage. <laughs> something a little bit more... Um, uh, competent potentially right <laughs> and jake is there a role in the theater or a piece in the theater that you're desperate to do um no i mean i'm asked that question actually a lot, imagine, a lot of different yeah. things i i don't i don't sort of look at it that way i but i do i mean you know i would at a certain point um i would like i would love to be in years down the line you know fiddler on the roof or things like you know things like that well many parts that i am not right for or ready for at this moment but i have dreams of of those types of things pipe dreams who would you like to work with in the theater who you haven't had the chance to work with yet oh wow um hmm. in truth I, i there are a lot of different um directors that i love i mean i I, when I saw Carrie's work, I just knew how incredible she was from, I have that, you know, that you kind of go, who is that? Like, who is this person? You know, um, what was that? Was that in London? Was that? Yeah. In, I saw yeah. Deep Blue Sea, which everybody okay, yeah. talks about a doll's house and I didn't have yeah. a chance to see it, but, um, which I know I, I'm like outing myself here, but I, yeah. but I, but it, but it was just, I think if someone is incredible, you kind of know it's through their work, whether the, even if things work or don't work which deep Z definitely worked like, you know, they're powerful and they have this incredible vision. Um, I would say probably my sister, if I'm, you know, great. Yeah. Sold. Um, yeah. She's been on stage before as well. Many times. Yeah. yeah. And I think there are things that would be very, would be incredible for us. I mean, we're still most important thing to us is our lives and how complicated sometimes just, family is you know um that's its own stage play but (laughs) there are many stage plays that mimic that so maybe they'll give us an opportunity yeah yeah well we look forward to that or whatever your next thing is and whatever is next from both of you thank you guys thanks for a happy opening tonight thank you
That was Jake Gyllenhaal and Carrie Cracknell, the star and director of Seawall A Life, now playing a limited run through September 29th at Broadway's Hudson Theatre. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, we'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's a big help. Or tell a friend. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.